Hello and welcome to UX Maturity. This is a podcast where we have conversation about the ins and outs of being a designer. I'm your co-host Sandrine. And I'm your co-host Susan. If you'd like to follow us or learn a little bit more about the podcast, we, you can follow us on Twitter at UX underscore maturity. And we also have a website on which you can find a link in the description. If you could rate or leave a review of the podcast on any of the platform that you are uh, listening on, it will be really helpful for us. So this week we are starting a new theme and we have picked the theme discovery. And in this episode this week, episode 44, we are going to be talking about designing the right thing versus designing the thing right and we're going to dive into how we're framing problems and how we're approaching discovery. So let's let's get in. Um, Susan, how, what do you think it means when we say design the right thing? Yeah, I think we mean, well, we mean a variety of things. Um, but I, I guess if you take a step back and think about where in the design Mm, is it design process, design journey, design, where in the design process you are? Let's, let's go with process. It's, it's sort of in the beginning um, or in the first chunk of the design process when you're not even sure what you're making yet. And the exercises or your task is to figure out what, what, what are we making and uh, the, what you're making is a thing and you, need, and you should make sure that the thing you're making is, is the right thing. Um, and so specifically for design, in my, in my view, um, designing the right thing is all the activities you're doing to identify the most valuable or the most impactful or the right uh, opportunity to approach um, or the right problem to address um, under which you can have many things um, that, that address that problem or opportunity. But uh, yeah, it's a matter of sort of finding your way to what the right what the right thing is and the thing can be a service it can be a product it can be a feature it can be small it can be big um but yeah figuring out what that right thing is yeah i think it's a, a really good answer uh, i'm always wondering when do you know that what you've kind of i guess you go through the design process right you go through discovery you you, you explore your brief or, or whatever you were, you were given at the start and you go into research, um, you look at what's out there, etc. And then you obviously make a, a bunch of conclusions, a bunch of assumptions, you may have validated them or not yet. And you kind of usually tend to narrow down to a few opportunity statements. And then it's all about picking the right one. And that's kind of about that decision that is really crucial, right, to figure out if you're designing the right thing, because this is about prioritizing the right problem. So I was wondering, how do you know if you are prioritizing the right problem or how do you figure out which one is the, the best course of action if you have several opportunities that come out of your research? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think this is uh, a big challenge that a lot of designers face. Um, I think... Uh, it helps me to to reframe <laughs> to reframe the concept a bit. I know we're talking about you know how do we design the right thing, and um, uh, embedded in that phrase is is the assumption that 
that there is a correct answer like there is there is a winner uh there's there's a design or a product or a service that is the optimal one but that might not necessarily be true or if it's true you might not necessarily get it right the first time you might not pick the the right option the first time actually most of the time we don't or a lot of the time we don't pick the right option the first time um, and so how do you know um i think i think you know you know through um learning your way through testing and experimenting with various concepts um and and through treating these tests and uh, experiments as almost like bets um rather than the correct answers so uh, it's a very it's a it's a very iterative approach in many circumstances where maybe maybe it's more it's easier if i think of an example yeah so i think i think it's a matter of um testing and experimenting your way through little uh, bets uh, for example you might test var- you might form various assumptions coming out of your uh, opportunity active uh, mapping activities you might have done brainstorming or ideation come up with lots of options for things you can explore and then you prioritize okay which which options do we want to test first um and which what assumptions do we have about them and then you test those assumptions and then you you sort of know you're right when your confidence through all these tests increases um so it's a gradual uh test and learn uh iterate choose um and yeah um, like test test your way into the right uh, to the right option but i i don't know i always find this very difficult especially because i i used to think okay there's the, the best option and once we picked this best option to design then that's it there's no going back and um i think it's important to bear in mind that you can go back um and it's more comfortable to go back and pick another option if you haven't invested too much time and energy into testing the, the first option um and that's why that's why you know testing early and often is very important so you kind of you de-risk the cost of choosing the wrong option that's really interesting because for me that testing actually is more kind of belonging in that other part of like are we designing the thing in the right way so i'm kind of testing i guess in terms of is is this the best way to solve that problem but then i guess what i was referring to is that how do you know that you even prioritize the right problem or the right opportunity and i guess maybe there is some form of proof of concepts that you might be able to actually see if there is if you find if you can't validate the opportunity or the problem itself as well before you even go into building a very complex solution so i guess that's why the design process can be so fuzzy because there's all these different nuances um and you can really get easily lost yeah that that's such a that's a great point um i suppose when we talk about testing in in earlier in the process when we're trying to figure out are we are we designing the right thing and when we talk about testing later in the process when when we're focusing on are we designing the thing right th- they're two different modes of testing um so in the earlier stages of figuring out are we even prioritizing the right problem um where i suppose we're testing more high level things like value propositions or um desirability or viability and the types of tests you run then are more things like um landing pages or 
uh, yeah, sort of like quick, uh, almost like concierge vector tests and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, one thing we haven't glossed over, but I think it's because we're so, we take this for granted, the two of us, maybe one thing we have glossed over, which is probably good to point out, is that you do lots of user research. Like you, you do lots and lots of user research and talk to users and um, continuously build up this um, team wide and organizational wide shared understanding of the problem space um, you create a collective brain for it whether it's in Miro or in the physical um, physical wall or anything like that and and keep talking about it so you sort of you all as a team you all build this greater understanding of, of the landscape um, of, of what you're addressing um, and then from there prioritize yeah but this is this is very it's a very interesting um it's a very interesting part of the <laughs> double diamond to tackle because um i'm the type of designer who who i feel the more at home in in this part of the double diamond so in in the part where i'm doing lots of discovery and i'm designing the right thing um and i mean it, if if I was left to my own devices, all I would do would just would just be like do user research and learn and explore lots of things and uh, never get to the point where I build stuff. And I love building stuff, but I I marginally love talking to people and doing user research more. And so of course that's not very fruitful or or good for <laughs> good for the business. We need to actually make stuff. Um, so yeah, one of the problems, not problems, yeah, problems. One of the problems I have is, or used to have a lot was um, uh, getting from the stage of just doing user research and learning lots of things to actually deciding, okay, wh what are we, what are we uh, pursuing? What are we prioritizing? And what are we going to focus on uh, designing and iterating on? Um, yeah, what's, what are your, what are your, what are your advice? What's your advice? <laughs> Pluralized. What's your advice for getting from the divergent phase of oh we have so much insight and user research findings, and going from that to the convergent phase of okay this is where we're focusing. What's uh, the other tips? Yeah, that is always the hardest. I think um, I tend to actually struggle mostly, not not struggle, but it, it feels less intuitive for me to converge than diverge. So I have absolutely no problem going into um, the diverge parts of the discovery and go wide and explore, ask questions, go deep into the problem and gather lots of insights and do a lot of thinking. But then it's um, more challenging for me to figure out okay how do I frame the problem and I tend to do a lot of divergence into how I frame the problem and I will I would try to frame it in so many different ways from different perspectives or with different methodologies and yeah it can be actually quite time consuming so usually to try to cut to the chase a little bit I try to involve my PM um, or try to do how might we um, statement workshops with the team as well and that kind of helps to, I can bring back the themes and the key insights from the research and then I can get the support from my PM or, or the rest of the team as well to kind of, you know, help me converge to what are the how might we statements, for example, that are standing out or what are the key job stories that we're seeing in there. And that really kind of helps me because I agree sometimes when you have an avalanche of insights, um, it can be a little bit tricky to see 
the light in between or where you should go because there's so many different areas that you could potentially go. Um, I do feel like sometimes we don't give ourselves enough time just for our brain to digest all of the insights that we're going through. If you have gone through a whole week of user interviews, you probably are buzzing with words and you're just seeing insights and probably dreaming about it and your brain is still processing all that information and giving yourself some time to analyze and you know reflect on the patterns and give yourself a day or two to actually kind of yeah digest it come back to it with a, a clearer mind you might actually see that the patterns are a lot more obvious than the day before when you were still kind of stuck in the mud I would say and that really helps to give yourself that time and yeah aside from involving your team as well um, I think again reflecting as well around what your what your business or your product is trying to achieve what is the mission of your team as well and put that in perspective with the opportunities that you've highlighted is super helpful as well to figure out how to clear a path of where you should go like there's often tons of problems that are discovered and figuring out which one is the right one to go for is can be really tricky because they're all kind of seem to be generally valuable for users but the problem is they're not all valuable for the business to solve so also bringing that dimension of okay what is the business trying to achieve this year what is my product trying to do like what is the mission of my product and which problems would get me closer to solve that mission or that vision as well is super helpful in figuring out which ones are the right ones to go for yeah, I completely agree. And it makes me think about the importance of having clear goals or some sort of goal setting framework in, in the company or in your team to help to help you prioritize. So um, this doesn't have to be the correct framework for every team, but a very popular one is, of course, OKRs, objectives and key results. And um, I find that incredibly, having that as a goal setting framework incredibly useful when when I've been indulging in lots of divergent discovery work and I have all these insights and I want to go into full like academic mode and and be almost like a scientist but you know I, I have to like make decisions at some point and then it's really helpful to know that okay well our objective our OKR is this quarter is to achieve this so therefore that it means that the opportunities we should uh, focus on are, are these ones because they are more likely to help us achieve our uh, OKRs. So that can be very, help very helpful. And um, another thing that I always find helpful, and, and uh, we're fans of this this um, approach, and we bring it up in like every third episode, is, is Teresa Tor Torres's uh, opportunity solution tree, which, um, as we mentioned before, it helps you map out after you've done a lot of discovery or while you're doing lots of discovery, it helps you map out all the opportunities, parent opportunities, child opportunities, and then solutions uh, leading to opportunities, all leading to uh, one or more outcomes. And when you have that map as a representation of all the possible opportunities you you could pursue, um, it, it helps a team take a step back and look at the whole picture and then have a discussion based on whatever goals you have, whatever business needs, uh, etc. And, and decide, okay, well, you know, in the next two weeks or three weeks, we're going to focus on this opportunity. And we're going to run some experiments or tests or try some concepts here. 
and um, hopefully that works. If it doesn't, then then let's zoom out back to the map and pick another opportunity, um, which speaks to what I mentioned earlier about you know you sort of you're allowed to go back, you're allowed to be wrong or not even wrong, but you're allowed to treat um, an opportunity, pursuing an opportunity as a bet. You make the bet, maybe it doesn't work, you go back and choose another bet. Um, and uh, yeah, and you kind of work your way through your opportunity solution tree that way. That that really helps uh, me when I'm faced with this insight decision paralysis. Yeah, absolutely. Always, always go back to the opportunity tree. <laughs> I was actually wondering, when is too much data too much, actually? And how do you figure out when you know enough to continue to define your opportunity as well. Yeah, this this reminds me of Erica Hall's book, Just Enough Research. So, um, of course, <laughs> especially especially us designers who really like thinking divergently and, and doing lots of user research, we, we could do so much user research, but eventually you, you reach a point of diminishing returns where every new thing you're learning is adding less to your to your pile, pool, mountain of knowledge. <laughs> and so I don't think there's sort of like a clear cut rule of, okay, this is how much time you spend on user research, but it's the more you do user research, the more of an intuition you build uh, up in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm going to reach information saturation soon, or, you know, in, in, in the sense of every new thing I'm learning isn't as revolutionary anymore, or every new thing I'm learning is actually something I've already identified uh, previously in the user research. Um, it also reminds me of this, you know, this heuristic uh, of usability testing where you only need to test with five people to find 80% of, of the insight, something like that. Um, it's not a hard, it's not hard science, but it, it's a heuristic that helps you develop this intuition for, okay, I'm going to go until I'm about 80% there or until I'm not learning that much new anymore. Um, and then, and then that's it. Although sometimes you're on a very high pressured time pressured, uh, piece of work or project, and you just need to time box things. Uh, for example, uh, time box user research to one week or two weeks and go, okay, I'm going to learn as much as I can uh, prioritize my research questions and, um, and learn as much as I can in one or two weeks. And, and then by the end of those, that, this time box, I'll, we'll make a decision, um, it, it sort of it becomes a forcing function to help you progress and uh, move on when maybe when you're in instances where you might not have this clear-cut answer of okay we've learned enough now but that's a difficult thing to learn I think to know to know when when you have enough yeah it's almost like a, a muscle that you build over time with experience um, it's really it's definitely hard to get right but there are a few a few signs that you can spot and I guess reflecting on the level of, of risk and unknown as well on the project itself like I think sometimes we try to actually rediscover things that we already know as you said like is that research that has been done in the past or things that are kind of close to what was explored before and in the same problem space so in this case we probably can make good assumptions already to move forward and we can probably also rely on our instincts and our gut feeling i think there's been some interesting discussions actually around when should i when should you trust your gut and when should you rely on insight or actual raw data 
and it's kind of interesting and it's 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 not always super clear how you should which one you should go for but I think with experience you can try to get a little bit more right I think sometimes we strive a bit too much to have a very very clear picture like it's like if you were putting on your research lens and the more you do research the 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 clearer your sight becomes but I don't think you can ever get a full clear picture and if you do you probably lost a lot of time um, because you can already tell what picture is in front of you when it's I don't know 40% blurry or something like this Um, so I think as well figuring out is the signals that you got from your research enough to be able to tell or extract assumptions that are solid enough to move forward as well and having that reflection whether you could actually learn more from releasing something and testing something with people as opposed to doing more research even ahead of launching so I think then it's about having that 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 um that reflection yeah where would you learn most um in primary research or at learning testing stage after launching and I think there will be a point where it will start actually switching to the other side and that's where you should probably consider moving on and start actually building a first prototype to potentially yeah testing it out testing it out putting it out there and get some feedback yeah yeah I completely agree um and and also um we touched on this uh, a bit previously but um sort of thinking about the risk involved as well if you're working on some an opportunity that might be very very risky then then it's worth spending more time de-risking <laughs> de-risking the 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 potential consequences of you being wrong that the opportunities that you're getting the opportunity wrong um so it's worth uh, constantly having risk um involved in your discussions with your team and your pm um and uh, yeah if something is very risky uh you should probably do more user research if it's very low risk um and and you can test things more quickly then probably get by by doing less um less uh user research or or stop cut not less user research but um yeah make a decision quite quickly uh, after you've done a bit of user research and then the other thing is sort of the 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 cost of um uh, the cost of the opportunity or the cost of the impact of pursuing the opportunity because the the longer you spend in user research the the more uh, of a potential cost uh, to the opportunity. Am I phrasing this right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the the longer you spend in user research, um, if if the opportunity you're considering pursuing has a potentially very very big impact, you're you're losing out on that impact the longer you spend doing user research as well. So it's like this is a very fine balance. Like how much value and impact can we get out of pursuing this opportunity versus a plus the risk as well i feel like this is an impact versus risk matrix of sorts where you map out the things but yeah thinking about the risk of being wrong and the potential impact um, it has if you pursue it i think this is a really great point because in in these days having the right timing on the market is so essential and you losing out on a couple of months sometimes can actually make a, a dis- like can make a call on whether you're going to penetrate the market or not and that's, yeah, I think that's super relevant to think about um, these different aspects for sure. The opportunity costs. I was wondering, um, 
so we've talked about obviously a little bit about what it is to design the right thing, but there's been some companies or teams where they actually completely skip this part of the process and go straight away to straight to solution and straight to designing the thing right. And I was wondering what are the risks in your view to to skip the first part of the of the process? I think in some instances, that first bet, uh, that first solution you you bet on, is ends up being the right solution for various reasons. You might have stakeholders with so much subject matter expertise and experience that they've built up this intuition to know what is the obvious solution to build. Um, so this is not to say that never ever pick the first solution because it will always be wrong, and you always have to go through this process of uh, figuring out what the right thing to design is. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of like that, um, almost like a design Twitter meme of, you know, oh, us designers, we ask, we approach every every solution with, what problem is this solving? And it's sort of like the industry mocking ourselves with how we always want to take a step back and question whether something is right. Um, so just to point out that sometimes, sometimes that first solution is right. But um, the issue with not not going through a process or asking ourselves, are we designing the right thing? So asking ourselves, are we designing the right thing can range from just having a discussion and, and doing that intellectual exercise of discussing, have, have we approached this from the right angles to, you know, three months of user research, six months of user research. It can be anything within that range. I think that the problem with not going through that is um, if you're in a team or a company that maybe is less UX mature or design mature or isn't design led or doesn't, you know, doesn't have this strong culture of, of design thinking, you risk that um, the rest of the organization doesn't see the value of going through that uh, exercise. And uh, especially if, if the solution, the first solution you choose, you bet on is ends up being quite a good one and, and right, then you get this almost like um what's it called survivor bias in in the business of oh yeah well we're so good we picked the right solution so we'll pick the right solution every time um all that to say that i i think it's important intellectually and um intellectual is that right term i think it's important uh to intellectually build a culture of challenging your assumptions um, and to challenge your assumptions, you need to actually tease out your assumptions as well. And, and you know, if, if for example, um, by jumping into the, the, oh, we know what the right thing to design is. It's a, uh, it's a ride sharing app. Uh, well, you know, why do we think that's the right, assum- right thing to build? What are, what are we assuming here? If we don't go through that exercise of <laughs> questioning our assumptions, um, of questioning and challenging our assumptions, um, for for things we pursue in the future, potential new opportunities and solutions, we might not be right every time. And if we don't build that muscle of of um, discovering the right thing, we might risk, you know, losing being wrong in the future and not knowing how to get out of the get out of uh, changing course when we are wrong or when our assumptions are not valid. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And I like what you said at the very beginning that that phase can be 
as simplistic as having just a conversation with a little bit of thinking and mapping out the different opportunities that we have and making sure we've picked the right one and that they're all linked to some sort of insights um, and value proposition as well. And I quite like that actually, because sometimes if that all it takes, then um, that could mean that you could actually kind of easily test if your solution is attached to a problem and does your solution that you're jumping in to build, does that provide value? Is it likely to provide value? Because often if you if you are going to deliver something valuable to users, it means that you're solving some sort of problem. So if you are able to actually explain the problem that you're solving, it, even if it has not been uh, fully researched and fully validated, um, I think if you can at least frame it and state it, it means that you have an understanding of what you are solving, which is um, kind of at least what you want to be able to do. I think in some teams that want to move fast and just go on straight to testing and have more of the lean approach, they might actually have more that they can might take a kind of that approach actually of just reflecting on where they want to bring value, what problems they think are out there. Kind of just make, as I said, a bet that these are the right problems to solve. But it doesn't mean that they're just launching solutions without even reflecting on what they're trying to achieve. And that's what really is important to really think of is, have you reflected on what you're trying to put out there? What kind of value you want to deliver? And are you able to kind of connect all those dots basically? Even if it is light in terms of insights and data, um, as long as you can have that thread um, in your conversation about why you've built things, I think at least it sounds like you've got things fairly under control and then you can still reflect on whether you've solved the problem with the wrong solution or if you've addressed the wrong problem altogether as well. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you're building up this team-wide rationale for, for why you're doing this. And just to point out, I've been there so many times where in both been part of teams and also led led efforts or led teams where we we wanted we needed to pursue something let's say, um, redo pricing. I'm just using that as an example. And we had a hunch, everyone had a hunch of, oh, in the beginning, like, oh, the obvious thing to do is this, this approach. Uh, but then we, we would all know that, you know, we need to go through a process of making sure this is the right thing to do. And then we'd go through a process. Sometimes it would be weeks, sometimes months, exploring divergently, doing lots of user research. And then guess what? We'd come back to <laughs> that original, that original uh, idea, cool. yeah. and and you know, in in one in one aspect, you might think, oh damn it, we, sorry, oh yeah, oh damn it, we we wasted all that time. We could have just you know gone with that in 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 the first place and skipped all these weeks or or months of, of doing discovery and testing things. But on the other hand, how confident would you have felt that? you were doing the least riskiest, highest impact thing if it didn't go through that exercise of um, building up the rationale and exploring and uh, gathering more insight and building confidence that that you were doing um, doing the right thing. Absolutely. And again, it's about reflecting on where is the highest risk for your business? Is it missing out on the opportunity? Is it the opportunity cost or is it actually the risk of... Um, building something that is completely irrelevant and destroy trust with users, for example. So, yeah. Okay, so um, to the second part, uh, to the second part of discovery, I guess it's still discovery. I don't know, what is discovery? Uh, what, Sandrine, what does it mean to design the thing right? Yeah, so often that's the, this, I mean, if you look at it from the double diamond 
process, which is super classic one now. I guess this is the the solution diamond, and often people think this is the the diamond where you go straight to the point and you don't you don't just diverge too much, and you just you just it's time to deliver stuff and build stuff and design stuff. And I actually think there's quite a bit of discovery as well in that in that diamond. Um, I think you're really meant to diverge a lot around how what are the multiple ways you could solve that problem and often if you do ideation workshop with your team you will find that if you have a solid how might we statements you will get a lot of different approach as to how you can solve that problem and I think having that that divergence um, with these ideations whether you do it on your own or with your team is really important to make sure that you are considering all of your different options whether from the most basic one to the most complex ones you might have one that is absolutely insane and you know not even feasible because technology does not exist yet for it but it's still really interesting to kind of explore these different ideas often if you go through that divergence kind of process um, that's when you can really start to think about really interesting solutions to solve problems and solving your problem in a way that has never been solved before on the market and that's why sometimes I think there's a little bit of discovery as well to do in terms of you've you've framed the problem and now you know you're focusing on that problem. So you might want to go actually a little bit deeper into how that problem has been solved before. And if you were to solve that problem, what would it imply as well? You might have actually new questions that come out that will be linked to the solution. So you might want to go and address like, for example, one of um, things that come to mind is I, I worked on a ratings and reviews project in the past. And when we went into, uh, we had highlighted an opportunity for improving um, a rating and review system. And one of the discovery area that we had for the solution was around what rating do we even want to use? And that was a question that was really linked to the solution itself. Like, and there was a lot of exploration around this. And that's where I think that there's a lot of divergence and there's still a lot of questions that will come out during this this period of time to actually really refine what is the right solution. And if you push the ground here and, and actually challenge the status quo of solutions that are there and don't go straight to the most basic approach you can take, which which is, for example, reusing patterns that already exist. Sometimes it's the right thing to do, by the way, but sometimes it's nice to actually challenge it and be like you know what I think we're gonna do something that is much better than that and I think what it is out there this thing it's not good for customers or for users and it it's it's tricky to use and I'm sure we can do something better than that and that's why it's really interesting to go back into yeah exploring and trying different avenues of, of solving that problem so I think that's what that's where designing the thing right really comes in is allowing yourself to explore allowing yourself to test different solutions um, and giving yourself time to do this is super essential. Otherwise, you always go for the most basic, basic, basic solution. And you may have a very usable product, but you are definitely probably not likely to innovate and discover new grounds and yeah, set new trends. Yeah, I I really like that. Um, and also where where in the in the first part of the diamond <laughs> with designing the the right thing i i pointed out that for, for me anyway it really helps to have something like um okrs to help us make decisions um in the second diamond okrs is 
still very important, but there I think it's also very important to have something that is more like success metrics or, or you know, like what does success look like? And so if you have some criteria uh, up front or you discuss with your team, like what does success for this design look like? You, you have a way of sort of measuring the different options you're exploring to address a specific problem. You have a way of measuring. Okay, this is, for example, let's uh, let's use usability metrics as a success metric. So, can people complete this task with this design quickly and with no errors? Like, which design achieves that? You know, um, or yeah, any success. Like, figure out what what. How do you define success of a design, and then you can sort of measure up your design options according to those as well. And and I really like what you said about how there's still discovery in the solution space because we I, I guess the traditional way of thinking about a double diamond is that the first diamond is discovery and then the second diamond is delivery and then you, you split the, each of the diamonds into two and there's something like define and etc um but i think delivery maybe delivery is not the right word but delivery is also you're also discovering while delivering we actually i just i'm just realizing we had a we had an episode guest episode in the last season uh entitled, entitled this um what i'm trying to say is um you're still learning things when when you're delivering delivery can be you're you've mocked up a prototype and you're testing it uh, or it can also be you know you've actually shipped code you've shipped something into the product and you're delivering that way um you're still learning things or and I, or you should be learning things I, I don't i don't think it's an optimal approach to ship something and then just not look at the results uh, that you're celebrating shipping um and so i i've tended to look a little bit away or actually i've tended to look completely away from this concept of this dichotomy of first you're doing discovery then you're doing delivery and i think everything you're doing is discovery uh, but maybe discovery is sometimes a very loaded term, um, especially if you've been in a field for a while. You tend to think of discovery as this heavy user research, uh, lots of interviews, lots of divergent thinking, which it is. But um, discovery as applied to more of the solution space is, 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 can be things like you're shipping something and then you're, see you're gathering feedback or you're seeing how it's performing and then you iterate based on that. Um, yeah, I will also add that there is, so for me, the first double, the first diamond is problem discovery and the second is solution discovery. And I agree, there's definitely a lot of back and forth and there's still loads of learning in the second diamond. And there is just exploration and discovery in terms of, um, if, for example, like the other day I was designing interaction for adding tags and there was a lot of discovery to do around just what is the interaction for adding tags and what are the web conventions around this and, um, you know, how do people currently do this? What feels intuitive to them and what also doesn't work about it potentially or how does it apply to my product as well? And there was tons of questions and discovery actually to go through um, to make sure that I was actually coming up with a solution that was good good to be able to test with users. So there's also all that dimension. And that's why um, you often see in design articles to say, yeah, you need to like kind of explore 
I guess, how many solutions you can go about a problem and kind of see all the different variations. And I guess they probably refer to that step of going wide and explore multiple ways to, to go about something. I'm actually wondering, when do you also put a stop to, I guess, trying multitudes of ways to solve a problem? Because sometimes there's obviously multiple ways you can design something, whether the way it interacts or the way it looks like. Um, when 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 is it good enough to ship? Yeah, what listeners don't know is that I'm taking the longest <laughs> pause to, to think about this. Uh, and that is because I don't think there's a clear answer to it. I think it it depends on it depends on your context. So it depends on um, your design team, for example. Are you many designers? Can you get uh, do you have regular do you have strong culture of uh, design critiques and design reviews and you, you've been through a process of reviewing it with your peers and you've gotten lots of feedback so you, you know you have this hive mind of design it depends on if you're in a cross-functional team it depends on that cross-functional teams what are, what are the goals of that cross-functional teams what are the skills and uh, specialisms of the engineers can they do fancy motion design can they do fancy interactions uh what are the if you're working to sprints what are the sprint goals can you fit in like it depends on all of these things it it also depends on are you in a very large organization where where things maybe are a bit slow moving and thing you don't have to move very fast and you can indulge in in perfecting design decisions so actually you're not shipping anything that's something that is good enough you're shipping something that is very well crafted because you're in an environment where you can pay lots of attention to that or are you in an early stage startup where you just you need to get something out quickly and good enough is it works it doesn't break that is good enough so it it really really depends um i think yeah, no, I agree. I think it's, again, going back to your team principles and what is valued and I guess, yeah, what is considered done uh, in your team. And I agree that will really depends on your company, your team and yeah, what pressures are on, on the business, the team, whatever. Um, all of these things really impact. Um, not, not every team strive for an Airbnb level of experience. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's just not feasible, not at the stage that you're, if you're in a startup, sometimes you can't go for that level of detail, unfortunately. So, yeah. It goes a little bit back to what I mentioned earlier about, uh, deciding up front what success looks like. And I, I built this muscle from working with a, a specific designer who, um, really helped me think about, okay, what, what is success? What does success look like? And uh, in terms of is this design good enough because in this with this specific designer when i joined the team i still had this hang up where i would i would get a bit not lost but i would indulge in in the specifics of the different design options i would do lots of prototypes i would design far beyond an mvp i would design you know concepts rather than specifically to solve a, a particular problem and this designer would always not always but very often ask me um like what problem are you solving here susan and um what does success look like and him asking me those questions made me realize like okay i'm not focused enough in in my designs and uh his his questions really helped me 
build this habit of before I start to design, I have a very clear idea in collaboration with my team, my PM, the other engineers. I have a very clear idea of this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what success looks like. And um, uh, that helps me judge and decide, okay, this design is good enough to ship now. And it also helps to think about it in, in phases and not instead of thinking, okay, once we ship this design, it's done. Uh, but rather think, okay, this is good enough for now. This We're focusing on solving this specific problem first, and then we'll solve these other problems. And then we can bake in these other iterations of the design. The important thing to bear in mind here is that you actually iterate and don't just say you'll you'll iterate uh, and live with a forever MVP. But yeah, that's another topic. <laughs> yeah, that's a very classic uh, classic issue. But we said we we would iterate on this and <laughs> never came back to it. Um, yeah, I like what you say. It's about it's about actually not losing sight of the thing. Like you said, we, we're talking about um, designing the right thing and then designing the thing right. And along the ways of the design process, you can get lost in that maze and sometimes lose sight of the thing that you're actually solving. And that's why I think bringing back, um, keeping your hammock with or actually detailing your hammock with into job stories can actually really help to keep you really focused all the way through to implementation and solution stage. So, yeah. Yeah, and and also on the topic of prioritization, we talk a lot about muscles here, but I think prioritization is also a good um, muscle to to train. Yeah, a, a muscle to train. Um, so, so having a clear idea of what are the must-haves and what are the nice-to-haves and what are the could-haves, probably can discard um, scope. Scope hammering is an, is another term for it. I wonder if it's if it is some cancelled company that made up the term scope hammer. Anyway, but you know, just being very very ruthless um, with uh, remove uh, cutting things from the scope uh, so that you can focus on uh, on the most important problem to solve. And maybe to some designers or to some designers at certain stages in their career, <clears throat> it can be. <clears throat> Lie in my throat. <clears throat> Sorry, um, it can be uh, disappointing, uh, or a bit. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing that you know you have this fancy design. You spent a lot of time prototyping this beautiful design. You m- might even have tested it with with users, and it was very well received. And then it's being the design is being reduced to like just a fraction of of what it was. Um, but then, what I find helpful to think about is that sometimes. Not less is more, but but sometimes it it's very valuable and impactful to strip away um, other features or other functionalities so that you can focus on one particular aspect of the design and really do that one aspect super super well. Um, so we have a really focused quality piece of maybe small design, but that piece is really well executed, and then you can refocus on the other parts. Um, in, in subsequent releases. Yeah, I think this is really relevant in the case where the scope is well-defined and stick to the, the problem. I think sometimes there's some frustration because essential work gets descoped and actually the, just like I think sometimes some teams, and it's, it's difficult to get it right, but sometimes teams overlook the, the problem discovery, might not prioritize the best problem, and then they go quick, quick, quick to solution. 
and then click, 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 go for the first solution. They don't do the exploration. They don't go for the details. They don't polish it because they want to go straight to the learnings, which I get like sometimes it is the right way to go, but sometimes just making sure that, as you said, what you're focusing on, you're making sure it delivers the value and that you can get actually good learnings from this as well. Because sometimes if you if you rush that process and you, you release something that is barely viable, barely desirable by users, um, you might not actually get the attraction that it would have if it was designed well. So that's why I think something simple as well to have conversation and push back when we think that it should be designed in a specific way because it's important for the success of that project as well. So I don't think we should shy away as well of having this conversation too. Uh, and yeah, and also to add a note, when it comes to designing the thing right, and we're talking about the solutions, um, how do we how do we execute a great solution, design it well? We often, I think we have a bias of thinking in additive terms. I don't know if this is the right phrase, but we, we tend to think about what can we add to the design? What new features can we design? What, um, how can we put more things into this to make it more, more performant or more functional or, you know, and we have a bias towards that. But maybe one thing we don't think about often enough is what can we remove? <laughs> can we remove some features entirely? Uh, can we chop some content away? Uh, can we, you know, how can we clean it up? And, and I'm not just talking about simplify it in terms of uh, minimalist design, but actually removing functionality and, and features. Not only is it not only is it good from a technical point of view, because having fewer features to maintain and develop and fewer dependencies is, is good for the performance and stability of, of whatever you're making, but also from a UX point of view, um, fewer options, less complexity, uh, less, um, less in the product ecosystem often gives a better user experience. So that you're not presenting users with lots and lots of features and, and potentially confusing people. So yeah, I think part of designing the thing right is also what can we remove? Uh, this hits right home because <laughs> uh, in my current role, I'm, I'm working on a very complex area which allows our users to do so much, which is a good thing because it's very powerful. But at the same time, I most of these powerful features are not really common um, and are not the most used sometimes. And you get to a point where the most common cases are so much more complex to set up because they are buried in the complexity and there's so much that can be achieved. And because so much needs to be achieved, then the, the feature has become a monster. <laughs> and yeah, so... I'm, like right now I'm actually in that really interesting space of figuring out how do I simplify all of this um, I'm not at the stage of removing things but um, it's really interesting conversation to have of how do you either remove the complexity or how do you yeah how do you simplify how do you remove what's not needed or how do you make that maybe how do you make that accessible from a second level kind of, you know, information architecture is really important here, of like what should be accessible right away and what are the most complex ca complex cases that could be, I guess, offered to your users at a later stage. So yeah, I'm, uh, 
talking about something completely different now, so I will stop here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is it for episode 44 on designing the right thing versus designing the thing right. We will be back uh, next week for another topic on discovery. But before we go, we are going to go into our segments, which is about gratitude. Uh, Susan, would you like to share about what you're grateful for this week? Yeah, I am. Um, uh, I don't want this to be some big reveal, but <laughs> or self-promotion for that matter. But um, long story short, I'm... Um, I'm finally scratching my itch to go contracting. So I'm plunging into the contracting world for the first time. And I guess there's, so there are various reasons why I haven't done it. But part of the reason is it's like I've, I've been a bit overwhelmed by, by like, what do you do? What, how do you get an accountant? What kind of company do I set up, etc.? You know, all this, all this admin stuff. And I am really grateful that my partner has been contracting for quite a while now. <laughs> And I can just use him as my advisor and uh, ask all my silly questions uh, instead of Googling myself into a hole of like getting totally lost in all the, yeah, all the operations and admin of setting up your own company and, and all of that stuff. So yeah, I'm really grateful. I, I, get, I get a shortcut uh, who happens to live with me. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. <laughs> what are you grateful for this week? Oh yeah, the, I've always been really intimidated by all the setup when you starting your your own gig or starting being contractor. I am grateful this week for all the mentees that I've met uh, this week and even the, the previous week. Really, um, yeah, I've just been really enjoying doing some mentoring sessions lately. I've been doing quite a few this week because I've had a little bit more time and. Yeah, I'm just grateful that I can help. And I always, I don't know, I'm always enjoying um, helping out. And I just get so much from it. I feel usually super good after each session, which is, I guess, maybe a bit selfish. But yeah, like it feels good to help others and give back. And I, I found it really helpful as well um, in terms of self-confidence for myself. So yeah, I, I go a lot from it. And I'm super grateful that I can do this. And that people are booking sessions with me. Super grateful for this. So yeah, I uh, just wanted to say thanks to anyone who's trusting me to listen to my advice, I guess. Oh, I love that. I'm yeah, I'm so I love mentoring and having mentors as well. I'm really actually a bonus gratitude. I'm also very grateful to all the mentors I've had in my career. Yeah, mentors are are everything really. All right, this is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back next week. Uh, if you would like to rate us or leave a review, it's always super helpful for us to know how we're doing. And if you want to follow us, you can find us on Twitter at UX underscore maturity. And see you next week. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs>